Hello and welcome to Impressions of America. It's a slightly different format today than the usual one. Uh, we have an interview coming up with Michael Isakoff, who was the uh, journalist investigating the Monica Lewinsky scandal. So that's the, the third part of our, our Bill Clinton trilogy. We'll be focusing on, on that. And uh, yeah, Michael's a, a great guest and it's a really interesting interview. And then uh, after that, um, the three of us will be discussing... Um, what we think about the three shows we've done on on Clinton, and yeah, Toby and Vaughn and myself have some some thoughts and some uh, some views as to the the episodes themselves, as well as the sort of Clinton presidency overall. Um, so yeah, stay tuned um, after the interview with Michael for that. Um, just also state the first few minutes or so there was a, a slight issue with uh, Michael's microphone, but that that gets fixed a few minutes in. So ap- apologies for that. Um, yeah, please enjoy the interview. It's a really interesting one, and Michael was a great guest. I want you to listen to me. I'm going to say this again. I did not have sexual relations with that woman, Miss Lewinsky. I never told anybody to lie, not a single time, never. These allegations are false, and I need to go back to work for the American people. Thank you. Hello, and welcome to Impressions of America. I'm Simon, and with me as always are Toby and Vaughn. Hi, guys. Hi, Simon. Hey, Simon. Today we are doing the third part of our Bill Clinton trilogy and looking at the Clinton-Lewinsky scandal, which became the defining story of the Clinton presidency. And I'm delighted to say that we have a very special guest joining us today to talk about it. Michael Isakoff is an investigative journalist who is currently the chief investigative correspondent at Yahoo News, who has written extensively about American politics over the past few decades, including uh, books on the Iraq war and Putin's involvement in, in the 2016 election. He was the key investigative reporter at Newspeak who investigated the Lewinsky story and his 1999 book, Uncovering Clinton, a reporter's story details that investigation. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real pleasure to have you with us. Good to be with you. Um, I'll just start with a, a quick timeline of uh, timeline of events, and then we'll uh, move on to the questions. As outlined by CNN here, we've got uh, June 1995, Monica Lewinsky, then 21 years old, starts working at the White House as an unpaid intern in the office of Chief of Staff uh, Leon Panetta. November 95, Lewinsky and Bill, Pre- uh, Bill Clinton begin a sexual relationship, according to audio tapes secretly recorded later by Linda Tripp. And December 1995, Lewinsky moves into a paid position in the Office of Legislative Affairs, handling letters from members of Congress. Uh, she frequently ferries mail to the Oval Office. Uh, April 1996, then Deputy uh, White House Chief of Staff uh, Evelyn Liberman transfers Lewinsky to a job as an assistant to Pentagon spokesman Ken Bacon. Lieberton told the New York Times that the move was due to inappropriate and immature behavior and inattention to work. At the Pentagon, Lewinsky meets Tripp, a career government worker. And then summer 96, Lewinsky begins to tell fellow Pentagon employee Linda Tripp of her alleged relationship with President Bill Clinton. Michael, can you tell us about how you first became aware of, of, the, of Monica Lewinsky? and how the investigation began into her relationship with Bill Clinton. Sure. Well, it's a, it's a bit of, uh, it's a story with a, a bit of twists and turns. I um, 
back when I was at the Washington Post, I was um, investigating the uh, allegations of Paula Jones, a former Arkansas state employee who alleged that um, uh, Bill Clinton had had a state trooper um, approach her at a conference and um, summon her up to a hotel room where the then governor was uh, and that Clinton proceeded to make unsolicited sexual advances, uh, exposed himself and asked for oral sex. Um, this was a, a pretty astonishing set of, uh, of claims that um, most of the media didn't want to touch. Uh, uh, Paula Jones first aired them at a, um, uh, at a conservative political action conference. So the idea was she had been put up to it by her enemies. But I went out to Arkansas. I investigated it. I talked to... Um, friends and colleagues of her and uh, concluded that there was quite a bit of corroboration for what she had to say. Uh, the state trooper confirmed that he had indeed brought her up to the hotel room. The, um, uh, her associate colleague uh, confirmed she witnessed the state trooper bringing her up to the hotel room and Paula Jones coming down shortly thereafter being quite uh, upset and uh, distraught and that uh, another friend uh, remembered uh, Paula Jones relating the allegations in precisely the same way she described to the conservative political action conference that very day. Uh, and that and other uh, evidence suggested to me that uh, this was indeed a legitimate case of, I think, what most people today would view as uh, sexual harassment. Back then, not so much because, um, uh, you know, people were uh, invested in uh, the Clinton presidency and uh, Clinton spun this as a sort of scurrilous scandal mongering uh, that in which uh, a reporter, i.e. me, was probing into his sex life and that therefore that was illegitimate. Um, well, uh, taking it forward, Paula Jones sued for sexual harassment. Uh, the case was pending before the Supreme Court. Clinton tried to block that case from uh, being heard while he was president, saying he, suggesting he was immune from such matters. Uh, I learned about another allegation of sexual harassment by a woman named Kathleen Willey in the Oval Office while Clinton was president. Um, and that struck me as extremely serious because it raised the question that there here was a pattern of misconduct by Bill Clinton. And um, in the course of investigating that, I asked Ka uh, Kathleen Willey who she had told about this um, at the time. And she mentioned a woman named Linda Tripp. Um, who I discovered was then working in the Pentagon. Linda Tripp had previously been in the White House Counsel's Office. Uh, and I tracked Linda Tripp down in the Pentagon, her Pentagon office. Uh, she was very wary, but took me outside to a courtyard and told me I was barking up the wrong tree. There's another story here, but it's not the one you're thinking of. And uh, that turned out, uh, as I learned over many months, trying to figure out what Linda Tripp was talking about, that this was the case of um, the president having a, a sexual uh, affair with Monica Lewinsky. Michael, why did you want to investigate uh, Bill Clinton on these kinds of uh, charges, especially in a climate where 
a lot of um because you, you you start the book and at cpac don't you with um paula paula jones especially in a climate where a lot of conservative activists were going after the president uh, on these kinds of scandals why, why did you think that there was um a real sort of veracity and credibility to these scandals even before the the, the paula jones incident well you know, some of this dates back to the 1992 campaign mm -hmm. where I discovered that the Clinton campaign had hired a private investigator by the name of Jack Palladino to dig up dirt on women who might come forward and uh, say unflattering things about Bill Clinton. Uh, and that struck me as a, a sort of extraordinary uh, move uh, by a political campaign. Uh, to use a private eye like that to dig up dirt on women. Um, and it suggested to me that there was more there in Clinton's misconduct uh, than um, uh, was accepted at the time. But look, uh, as I write in the book as well, I uh, was among the Washington Post reporters who covered the Clarence Thomas, Anita Hill hearings mm -hmm. and um, something that uh, everybody in the Post newsroom and everybody in the media took seriously, that these, that, that these, uh, claim, these sorts of claims of sexual harassment uh, in the workplace uh, were indeed a serious matter that deserved to be investigated when people um, behave that way. I, I think right now, by the way, there isn't anybody who doubts that, uh, witness the... Uh, trouble uh, the New York governor, Andrew Cuomo, has gotten himself into uh, in recent weeks. Back then, uh, it was uh, a little uh, iffier, and I didn't feel that um, the political party uh, uh, that was whose ox was being gored should matter if the, uh, if the allegations were serious and if they could be corroborated then they deserve to be investigated. And that was the conclusion uh, I reached in, in the matter of Paula Jones. And like I said, uh, it was the corroboration. Uh, and also, if you read the book on covering Clinton, you'll discover the Clinton campaign, the Clinton White House, then whose communication director was then one George Stephanopoulos, uh, was telling me things that uh, turned out to be not true, such as that Bill Clinton wasn't even there at the event, uh, the economic conference where Paula Jones says it took place in the afternoon when she says it took place. And I discovered that was untrue, that in fact he was there. And that, you know, that and a number of other things led me to think these were serious matters and indicated a degree of recklessness by Bill Clinton that I don't think was fully appreciated at the time. There, there was also this, because um, you mentioned in the trip, did you come across uh, Linda Tripp through uh, Lucien Goldberg? The no, not Sorry. at all. Not oh, okay. Not at all. Um, uh, like I said, um, I learned about uh, Linda Tripp and Monica Lewinsky long before I'd ever heard of uh, Lucien Goldberg. Oh, okay. um, it was Kathleen Willey who's, who first... Uh, told me about uh, her conversations with Linda Tripp, and then I tracked her down on my own. And you wanted to know more about the Kathleen Willey story when you... That was the original reason that I tracked down. And were you con yes. concerned with... Um, because I, Linda Tripp said that the, the um, Lewinsky affair was a consensual 
matter? Were you concerned with consensual sexual I, you know, relationships? I, I, that, that certainly complicated. It was not the story I was pursuing. It was not the story uh, I was investigating. Um, and it did not seem to be a story I would be able to corroborate, uh, even though Linda Tripp, you know, provided me with a lot of details about what Monica Lewinsky had told her about her relationship with Bill Clinton. Um, you know, it was shocking, uh, if true, that Clinton, given all the baggage from his 1992 campaign and the allegations of Jennifer Flowers and the uh, Troopergate allegations that came out later, that Bill Clinton would be having an affair with a young woman who was working at the White House as an intern. Um, so I was uh, ambivalent about it. Um, uh, but, you know, I mentioned before the degree of recklessness that um, uh, the Paula Jones uh, allegations uh, suggested to me by Clinton. Uh, and here was further ev evidence that Clinton was you know, behaving in a way that was um, far more reckless and endangering to his own political uh, survival and ability to you know, uh, govern the country and get things through Congress by um, having an affair with an intern. Um, uh, it wasn't quite, it wasn't sexual harassment in the sense of what happened with Paula Jones and what mm -hmm. Kathleen Willie said happened with her, um, but it still seemed to be uh, somewhat troubling behavior. Um, I was just going to ask, try and paint a picture for our audience, the kind of the, the, the early side of this, you know, prior to the Linsky scandal kind of coming out, how, how well known was this in the general public as, as far as, you know, Clinton's alleged behavior or potential allegations made by, by other women prior to the actual, actual Linsky scandal? Well, remember, it was an issue in the 1992 campaign. It was one of the crises uh, uh, that Clinton faced uh, during the New Hampshire primary when Jennifer Flowers came forward mm -hmm. and talked about a long-term affair with um, Bill Clinton uh, and played tapes that she had surreptitiously made of her conversations with Clinton. There were aspects of the Clinton-Jennifer Flowers matter that uh, seemed to be, to be um, uh, somewhat serious, particularly uh, the fact that Clinton arranged to get her a state job uh, for the apparent purpose of uh, keeping her on the reservation so she would not go public and interfere in any way with his presidential campaign. He denied it uh, uh, famously on 60 Minutes or seemed to deny it. Uh, in a joint interview he did with Hillary Clinton. Um, but then I learned about uh, Mr. Palladino, who I mentioned before. Uh, and, um, and also, by the way, just one other element of that that got my attention, uh, the uh, Clinton campaign was laundering the payments to the private detective through a law firm. So people like me would never learn that they mm -hmm. had this guy on their payroll to dig up dirt on women. Um, and that struck me as a serious matter. So the totality of it uh, was, you know, you know, I thought troubling. Um, and I think the public didn't really have a, you know, the public was divided on the issue. Uh, I remember a, a columnist, uh, Al Hunt for the Wall Street Journal writing, look, we don't really care about what happened in Bill Clinton's past. 
uh, and it shouldn't be an impediment to his presidential campaign. But if he was still carrying on uh, affairs with women while running for president, that would be a different matter. Uh, and here with the Monica Lewinsky matter, I learned that not only had he been, you know, that he was carrying on while he was president of the United States. Look, it was, uh, it was complicated, as I say, and I wrote at the time, I was ambivalent about aspects of this, um, but it was something that I thought I should keep an eye on, and I did. So yeah, initially, Michael, you were quite apprehensive about the Monica Lewinsky side of this, especially because it had been a con uh, consensual matter and, and you were investigating uh, sexual harassment. But wh when did it start opening up for you as a really interesting um, angle of the, the wider Clinton story? And, wh and when did you start becoming involved in a way that you, you didn't anticipate previously? Well, uh, it is a um, it is a uh, quite a, uh, a tortured road uh, <laughs> and winding path. Um, I was, um, as I said, I was a, a bit ambivalent at first, um, but then, as Linda Tripp provided more details, uh, particularly about Clinton's efforts to get her a job um, in the government, uh, when the, uh, Monica Lewinsky wasn't happy at the Pentagon. She wanted a job elsewhere. She went to Clinton. Clinton uh, arranged for the UN ambassador, uh, Bill Richardson, to interview her at the Watergate Hotel about getting a job. Um, at some point, he brings in Vernon Jordan, the late Vernon Jordan, his good friend, civil rights leader, uh, to help Monica Lewinsky get a job in the private sector. And that began to merge with the fact that the Paula Jones lawsuit was moving forward and um, uh, there was the threat that uh, the lawyers for Paula Jones would be able to delve into Clinton's uh, uh, activities, uh, uh, sexual, uh, to look for other allegations of sexual misconduct. And there began to be at least the sense that this could turn into a story if in fact, Clinton was trying to keep uh, Linda, uh, Monica Lewinsky on the reservation, just as he had tried to keep Jennifer Flowers on the reservation. So she wouldn't say anything embarrassing in the Paula Jones lawsuit. Um, uh, again, it was a bit of a, this was a hypothetical, but it, you know, it, it, it struck me as something that could potentially turn into a story as the Paula Jones suit moved forward. Um, and I, you know, in the course of reporting this over many months, I learned that Linda Tripp was now talking to Lucianne Goldberg, the uh, uh, book agent, uh, had begun taping Monica Lewinsky uh, in order to, you know, establish evidence of what she was, uh, you might say, in a book about Clinton's uh, extramarital behavior. Uh, and that's when it started to seem a little dicey to me that they were, you know, maneuvering in a way uh, to try to set Clinton up. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, there were two parallel lines here. One was Clinton's own behavior and the other was the behavior of Linda Tripp and uh, Lucianne Goldberg. 
And I was kind of in the middle of that because I had independently tracked down Linda Tripp. I was talking to her and was aware of what uh, Tripp and Goldberg were trying to do. Uh, and uh, I guess the one mantra I had on this was to be very cautious. And what was your position in and around a lot of these sort of um, these different institutions and different sort of groups of movement conservatives, the, the Paula Jones lawyers, the, the Star Probe, um, Lucian Well, Gold, Star uh, Probe, I mean, that's what broke this wide open and that's mm -hmm. what made it a story and that comes later. Um, uh, at the time, um, look, the main person I was talking to was Linda Tripp. She was mm -hmm. the one that was uh, making the allegations uh, relating what Monica Lewinsky was telling her and, you know, she would tell me about things like uh, the uh, effort uh, of Clinton to get her a, uh, a, a job at the United Nations and, uh, and other um, uh, efforts along those lines. Uh, so, you know, that's what I was mainly focused on. Linda Tripp was, uh, you know, if any of you dealt with... Uh, uh, sources, you know, sometimes sources can be uh, a little uh, unpredictable, a little erratic. Uh, I, there was one, you know, famous time she calls me up in the uh, in my office after having spent the evening with Monica Lewinsky and tells me about this blue dress in mm. Monica Lewinsky's climate with semen stains on it. And I said, well, that's interesting. And she asks me, do you think I should take it? as in steal it <laughs> and i said and do what with it and she said give it to you and i said well what would i do with it and she said you could have it tested and i sort of thought about that for a moment and uh aside from my reservations about taking possession of stolen property i would i said how would i ever get uh uh, uh examples of Clinton's DNA to know how to test it, to be yep. able to test it. I thought it was kind of a nutty suggestion and I uh, you know, kind of dismissed the whole thing. Little did I know that uh, months later that would be the mm -hmm. crucial evidence that ultimately forced Bill Clinton to fess up and acknowledge his relationship with Monica. Can I just ask, in this sort of earlier stage but before it really gets going with the story, was there any kind of trepidation from uh, editors or anyone high up on your side as far as looking into this? Oh, no, not, not, not to looking into it. I briefed my uh, uh, bureau chief at the time regularly mm -hmm. uh, about this. And she was like fascinated and <laughs> appalled by if, if, about Clinton's conduct, if true, and keep an eye on it. Because there are always sort of rumors about Clinton, you know, could he be having affairs and you know that you'd see online articles is it possible for clinton inside the white house mm -hmm. to still have affairs i mean this was just part <laughs> of the sort of political you know gossip of the era and here we had something that nobody else knew that there was a actual litigation allegation of something ongoing yeah. with a uh, with with a, with a young woman who who started out as a White House intern for Christ's sake um, not what most people would expect when they you know land positions uh, as White House interns so no trepidation about 
about continuing to look into mm -hmm. it, but we were far away from publishing anything. I had no right. way to actually prove that what Linda Tripp was telling me, Monica Lewinsky was telling her, you know, could be yeah. could be corroborated. Um, right. Well, I don't know how we want to move this forward then, as far as getting further into the. Um, timeline of events and moving things forward. Toby, do you have any specific questions on that? Um, I, I think I probably would just want to move it into the, 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 the star probe and how they started moving in on uh, Lewinsky and uh, Linda Tripp. So you want, so we want to know about kind of how star got involved in all of this and the, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um, Michael, can you, can you tell us about how, about Ken Starr's role in all this, you know, from first getting involved into the investigation and then uh, his, his meeting with, with Tripp and kind of why escalated from there. So let me go back for a moment to the Paula Jones lawsuit sure. because, um, you know, that gets, you know, far too little attention in understanding um, right. how this whole scandal unfolded. And also, you know, it is in many ways um, a, a revealing insight into Clinton himself. Um, uh, so Clinton's lawyers tried to block the lawsuit from moving forward and they took it all the way to the Supreme Court arguing that uh, a president was immune from civil suits while serving as president. And the Supreme Court rejected that argument by a vote of nine to nothing, mm -hmm. thereby allowing the lawsuit in federal court in Arkansas to move forward. And uh, after that, the lawyers, they get into what's known as discovery in which you know, lawyers from each side are allowed to um, make demands and subpoena records and evidence from other people. And um, uh, at some point, the uh, lawyer, lawyers for Paula Jones um, get tipped off to Linda Tripp and her claims about Monica Lewinsky. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, uh, clearly this happened because Tripp and Lucianne Goldberg wanted it to happen, um, but they did. And uh, at that point, it occurred to me that you know, this could become a much more serious matter because Clinton was scheduled to be deposed under oath by the Paula Jones lawyers uh, in January of uh, 1998. Um, and so I was beginning to take all this a bit more seriously because if Clinton was going to get asked about questions about Monica Lewinsky, something he presumably would not be at all expecting, um, there'd be this dicey situation of whether he would tell the truth under oath or whether he would lie, right? Mm -hmm. um, and in the week before that um, deposition was due to take place, Linda Tripp was starting to freak out because she was going to get deposed as well. And she didn't want to make a claim that then the president of the United States would then deny and she'd be counter to the, um, uh, to the president. And uh, she and Monica, Lewin Monica Lewinsky get subpoenaed herself. That raises all sorts of alarms. Monica Lewinsky informs Bill Clinton that he's, she's been subpoenaed. That's when Clinton brings in Vernon Jordan to try to 
get her a job because she's demanding that she get a job. And um, totally unbeknownst to me, Linda Tripp did something I never imagined in my wildest um, imagination would happen, which is she goes to Ken Starr hmm. and informs Starr's deputies about her surreptitious taping of Monica Lewinsky and the efforts by Vernon Jordan to get Monica a job. And that was of particular interest to the Star folks because they had been exceedingly frustrated. Ken Starr's brief was to investigate Clinton's business dealings, the Whitewater matter. And one of their key witnesses that they were hoping to flip who had pled guilty to fraud charges was a guy by the name of Webb Hubble, who had been the associate attorney general appointed by Clinton, had to resign because of the fraud matter, which he pled guilty to. Uh, and then, then Hubble didn't cooperate on Whitewater and the star people learned that Vernon Jordan had arranged to get Webb Hubble a job uh, with a, Indonesian billionaire uh, consulting contracts that netted Webb Hubble hundreds of thousands of dollars. So they see this as a pattern. They see Vernon Jordan's efforts to get Monica Lewinsky a job as of a piece with Vernon Jordan's successful effort to get Webb Hubble a job. And the idea was this was jobs and money for silence. That's the way they viewed it. And so when Linda Tripp came forward um, uh, and uh, to Ken Starr's deputies, they jumped on it and they decided that they were going to investigate the Monica Lewinsky matter. And I get tipped off to that. They actually did set up an undercover sting hmm. with the FBI uh, at a, a a, a hotel restaurant in Northern Virginia and they wire Linda Tripp to talk to Monica Lewinsky and I get tipped off this is going on and I was blown away that Ken Starr, the independent counsel investigating Bill Clinton was now investigating this matter involving his sexual relationship between with Monica Lewinsky and that's when I knew this was a story. When I learned that Ken Starr was investigating it, because regardless of whether the underlying allegations that Tripp was relating about the Lewinsky-Clinton relationship, the idea that it was now a subject of a federal law enforcement investigation involving federal prosecutors and the FBI, I knew this was big. And were your editors at Newsweek, were they, did they know this when you news, like people like um, Richard Smith, did they? Oh, I alerted them. I mean, mm -hmm. I alerted my bureau chief who of course alerted uh, the, uh, all the brass in New York. Uh, and um, that's when this became a very serious matter. <laughs> um, what are we gonna do with this? Because while I had been covering the Star investigation, and of course, anytime Star would expand his mandate or uh, um, 
be probing into other matters involving Clinton, it would be big news because the star investigation mm-hmm. was hanging over Clinton, right? Um, but this was something nobody saw coming. And on, as, a, as a Ken Starr story, which is what I saw, this was a no-brainer. We were able to confirm that uh, um, not only had Starr done this thing, he had actually gone to the Justice Department and secretly got an expansion of his mandate so he could investigate this very matter. To me, that was blockbuster news in and of itself. Um, But in order to report it, one would have to report the allegations of the relationship between Clinton and Lewinsky. And that's where the editors got very nervous. Well, how do we know that Linda Tripp was telling the truth? How do we know that Monica Lewinsky is not some nut job who's making all this up um, you know, those were the kinds of questions. They were very nervous about going forward with a story that would suggest uh, an improper relationship between Clinton and an intern for fear that if it wasn't true, it would blow up in Newsweek's face. Did, didn't they also care about um, the relationship or with, with Vernon Jordan, maybe not trying to diminish Vernon Jordan's re- reputation if the, if the information sure. was... Yeah, no, that was, uh, that was, you know, very much a part of it. And yeah, there was, you know, we were a story of this nature would be um, going up against some very powerful people, the president of the United States for one, and number two, a revered civil rights leader, Vernon Jordan. All that made it um, even more politically uh, dicey. I think what's really fun about your book is that you talk to people who, like uh, John Podesta, who um, you think he knows something, but he knows a little bit more than you think he knows, and you know a little bit more than he thinks you know. Well, I I knew a lot more than he knew, (laughs) right? He had no idea. (laughs) this was going on um i was just going to ask and apologies if you already covered slightly um what was the sort of interconnection between your reporting and ken Starr in his office and how they were investigating this did you have much of a uh professional relationship you know any kind of contact with what was happening directly with ken star was this kind of stuff just happening in the background off off site of, of ken star's investigation no listen i was covering the star investigation for newsweek i had, had the star team had brought a number of criminal cases in arkansas mm-hmm. uh against bill clinton's business partners in the whitewater deal jim and yep. susan mcdougall i covered uh that trial uh, the McDougals were criminally convicted of fraud. Uh, it didn't uh, uh, touch directly on Clinton, but you know these were his longtime business partners. Uh, there was another case uh, of uh, improper campaign contributions that Stars People brought. I covered that as well. Um, that ended up uh, in, in a mistrial. So I knew the Star People because I, you know, covered court cases. Uh, in which, uh, you know, they were there presenting uh, the prosecution's case. Um, but when I learned about the, um, the Monica Lewinsky matter, that they were investigating that, I 
you know, very quickly uh, got on the horn and told them I needed to meet with them. It was extremely serious and um, uh, we knew talk and I did. And I sort of made the case to them that they needed it tell me why they were doing this because um, if they didn't, uh, they were gonna get roasted in the press. They would look really bad for you know, uh, taking their mandate to investigate Clinton's business affairs and turning it into an investigation of his quote, sex life, right? That that would be very embarrassing. So I pushed them. Uh, they uh, did not give me much, but uh, enough to know that um, the Lewinsky matter, that their inquiry into the Lewinsky matter was real. Did and you to ever, me, that's what made it a story. Did right? you ever doubt, um, did you did you ever think that the, maybe the staff um, probe was a bit of a witch hunt because they, they had dug really deep into um, the, you know, the deaths linked to um, Bill Clinton and and sex linked to Bill, Bill Clinton and sort of outside of their purview. Did you did you think that it was did, did you think that that Starr was an honest actor in, in, in this in this thing? Or do you think it was I thought they a purposeful were, uh, attempt? Uh, uh, yeah, look, which I mean, look, listen, the Clinton people were trying to spin the press constantly that the, 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 the Starr investigation was a witch hunt, witch hunt mm-hmm. and illegitimate and was driven by political enemies. I mean, the fact is Starr did win some significant criminal convictions of people in and around Bill Clinton, uh, the McDougals first and foremost, that was a big trial. Um, And they convicted the two people who Clinton and Hillary Clinton were involved in business, a business deal for over many, many years, convicted them of fraud. And that after that, as often happens, uh, Jim McDougal flipped, began to cooperate, began to uh, tell the star people about um, allegations of improper dealing by Clinton himself. Um, I thought uh, it was a mixed bag. Some of what Starr did, I thought was uh, a little overly aggressive and went too far. On the other hand, um, there were real legitimate crimes, which uh, his people successfully prosecuted. So I didn't view it as a quote, unquote, witch hunt by, uh, as the Clinton people would want to uh, spin it as. But on the other hand, I knew that um, what he was doing, uh, the, the investigation had become politically very controversial and was dragging on uh, longer than most people uh, expected it to drag on. And, uh, you know, there was the sense that uh, the star people, uh, you know, were determined to get Clinton one way or another and um, were looking for anything they could find to, um, uh, to do that. Once the FBI brought Lewinsky in, did you have contact with uh, Linda, Linda Tripp around that, that time? Um, no, not, not as things began to come to a head that mm-hmm. second week in January of 1998. Once she went to Star's people, um, as expected, she stopped talking to me, but I was talking to people 
in and around her who were aware of how things were unfolding. And um, one of them being Lucianne Goldberg, um, uh, who I had made contact with by this time. Um, but also uh, I learned she had a lawyer, a new lawyer. Uh, and as we approached our deadline at Newsweek, um, I wanted to hear those tapes that Linda Tripp had made of our conversations with Monica Lewinsky, because that was, at, that was the evidence that spurred Starr to open up his probe. And the and so top to brass me, wanted to hear it as well, didn't they? Didn't and the top brass. So on a, uh, uh, late on a Friday night, um, uh, Newsweek's deadline, by the way, is Saturday uh, the, for stories that would come out the next day um, in the magazine. By the way, none of this would have been, all this would have been different if it happened today, because this is sort of, you know, pre, uh, pre Twitter, pre social media. Uh, it's the early days of the internet, but we didn't, you know, I didn't write for our website at that time. Nobody at Newsweek did. Um, uh, you know, we were still stuck in this, you know, old prehistoric era of weekly deadlines, right? <laughs> so our deadline was going to be Saturday. Uh, so Friday night, I arranged to have the tapes finally uh, brought to the offices of Newsweek. And uh, I and a, a few colleagues and our bureau chief, Ann McDaniel, all sat around and listened to uh, what was viewed as the smoking gun tape. Um, it was not quite a smoking gun, uh, but one heard Monica Lewinsky's voice, one heard references uh, to what appeared to be the, the relationship she was having with Clinton, but it didn't quite say as much as Linda Tripp and her lawyers mm -hmm. uh, had told people it would. Um, Toby, is there anything you want to uh, touch on prior to asking Michael about the actual breaking of, of the story and the decision by Newsweek editors and that kind of thing? I, I do want to um, sort of talk more about the the tapes and, and what the people were looking for from the tape, because I know Ann Coulter played the tape to um, sort of other people who were interested in, in the story, and, and um, they seemed to be unhappy with what the tapes were saying, because the tapes did not um, put Lewinsky in, in as deep, uh, or Clinton in as deep as Myers, they, they thought that it, they, it was. Yeah, um, the, the, the tape was, look, the, the serious allegation here was obstruction of the Paula Jones lawsuit, obstruction of justice in a way, right? This was a legitimate lawsuit, mm -hmm. raised serious issues. And the claim was that Clinton was doing things, i.e. directing Vernon Jordan to get Monica Lewinsky a job in order to make sure she did not provide testimony that mm -hmm. would undermine Clinton's position in the, um, in the Paula Jones lawsuit. You know, the relevance of Lewinsky's, um, uh, of what Lewinsky had to say to the, to the, in, 
to the lawsuit itself, um, one can debate because it was a consensual relationship. On the other hand, the core allegation of Paula Jones was that as a state employee, uh, Clinton tried to uh, coax her to coax her, I don't know if that's the right word, but you know, asked her to provide him with oral sex. And the, um, what Linda Tripp was relaying from Monica Lewinsky is that Clinton had Lewinsky um, provide him with oral sex. In the case of Paula Jones, it was a state employee. In the case of Monica Lewinsky, it was a federal employee. Um, all the more inflammatory because she was doing it in the White House, in the Oval Office itself. So, you know, how, um, how relevant that was to the Jones claim, like I say, could be uh, debated. But the, the serious matter here was the claim that of obstruction, that Clinton had Vernon Jordan get her a job so that Monica Lewinsky wouldn't tell the truth, would lie in the course of the Paula Jones lawsuit. And so when we listen to the tape, there's an extensive back and forth about whether Monica Lewinsky would tell the truth um, if she got subpoenaed because she had been subpoenaed in the Paula Jones lawsuit. And was Clinton telling her not to tell the truth in the um, Paula Jones lawsuit? And it turned out, perhaps not surprising, Clinton is a very clever guy and never at least according to Lewinsky on the tape, didn't explicitly talk like that. The way she described it was an expectation that he and um, Monica would not tell the truth in the lawsuit, but there did not seem to be, at least according to what Lewinsky was telling Tripp, uh, an explicit direction along those lines. So the tape was a bit ambiguous on the most serious allegation that got Starr's attention. Oh, and then why did Newsweek decide not to run with the story? And Well, uh, I kind of, for the reasons I was kind of laying out before when yeah. I, you know, yeah. uh, told you, about um, their wariness about mm -hmm. publishing a story that would bring up a new claim of a, a, of a sexual relationship involving Bill Clinton. That was, um, you know, something that <laughs> the editors were, you know, because they knew if, if, if this did not turn out as we thought, it, you know, did not turn out to be what we believed it to be, or at least I believed it to be, um, it could blow up in Newsweek's face and Newsweek would be embarrassed and would get criticized by the Clinton White House and all their friends in the media and it would be a little too hot and controversial. Far better to let somebody else break it um, rather than stick our necks out um, uh, with a story I knew would be politically explosive. And my argument during many hours of debate <laughs> inside uh, Newsweek was 
give me a break. This is, you know, the most politically explosive story imaginable. It's going to dominate the political landscape in, in Washington and around the country. Once this becomes known, the fact of the Starr investigation, we have that nailed down cold. We know Starr has done this. We know he went to the Justice Department and got this expanded mandate. How can we possibly sit on such a huge story. And I, I'll, I'll add one more sort of anecdote that's in the book. At one point, uh, Rick Smith, who was the publisher, president of Newsweek at the time, you know, was saying, you know, how can we publish a story that could lead to the impeachment of the president without <laughs> doing X, Y, and Z, sort of further, you know, reporting on various matters. And I remember, uh, as I wrote in the book, looking at my colleague, Dan Clydman, who had uh, uh, been involved in some of the reporting on this, and we both rolled our eyes, impeachment. What is he talking about? That was not even on our minds in the course of reporting this. Certainly wasn't on my mind. So Judge, I was gonna say Judge Report published or came out January 17th, 1998. And the, you know, this report or stories that um, you know Newsweek editors were sitting on your story. Can you maybe just give us a, a glimpse into what your thoughts were when this did start to you know trickle out and you know the, the the news did sort of break that there was this investigation you know done by yourself at Newsweek and that it was um being held by editors what what was what was your kind of reaction to this and how how, how did it play out in your mind as far as the news actually getting out there by 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 drudge but just before that michael actually told lucy and goldberg that the story wasn't going to come out for Newsweek. So she then went to the, the Drudge Report. She or somebody uh, uh, she was working with. Yeah, look, it is not uncommon when you're working with sources on a story and they're expecting the story to come out mm -hmm. to let them know, hey, sorry, but we're not going to be able to run this this week. So that was a sort of, you know, common courtesy that you would provide to any source. Yeah. Because she would know it in a few hours anyway, little did I imagine what she would actually do, but you know, in retrospect. Did you give a heads uh, up prior to Drudge reporting it? Oh yeah. You did. Yeah, well, I mean, once, once the decision was made Saturday night that mm -hmm. Newsweek was not gonna run it, um, I did um, tell her that, mm -hmm. yeah, hey, sorry, you know, um, it's not gonna run. And at that point she did what she did but, um uh and, but you know when i learned what drudge had put up i was pissed <laughs> as yeah. i think any they didn't really have all be. of the information yeah, no 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 because first of all drudge didn't even have what the story was yeah <laughs> you know the story was ken Starr's investigation that's what made it a story and he you know threw monica Lewinsky's name out there and you know Newsweek spiked the story about a sexual relationship between Clinton and Lewinsky. Well, no, not exactly. Um, that wasn't why this was such a big story. Uh, so yeah, I was, you know, quite upset about the whole thing. Of course I was, although at, at that point I was kind of drained because it had been a, you know, unbelievable week and, you know, I'd been working around the clock and mm -hmm. you know to have the you know the when when all this became known now just to sort of jump forward so what happened is 
you know, the, 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 the Drudge Report put it out there that got everybody stirred up, although nobody knew what to make of it. The Washington Post finally got its own confirmation on Tuesday, but we knew more than anybody else about mm-hmm. this. You know, I was there on the ground floor, you know, when it all began, we had the tapes, nobody else had had the tapes. So, you know, uh, what the decision was made and, you know, again, I refer to how different uh, the era, the media, landscape was at that time, the decision was made that for the first time ever, Newsweek would um, publish our story on the, on our, on the Newsweek website, the newsweek.com. It was, it was a website that was a dedicated AOL website at the time, <laughs> which I had never even looked at. And nobody I knew even looked at it. Um, and uh, so we wrote up the story, which had the information about the tapes, which had the information about how all this came about, which had the specifics of what um, uh, Lewinsky had told Tripp uh, and the specifics about Starr's involvement and, you know, put it on this, you know, AOL Newsweek website. But just to make sure that people saw it, we actually faxed around copies to other (laughs) news media uh, because nobody knew how, you know, you know, how one would even find the website or whatever. Um, And then, you know, at that point, it became clear that, you know, I was the reporter who first Mm -hmm. learned about this. I was the reporter who had the most detail about it. I was the reporter who was able to confirm Starr's involvement, all of that. And um, New York Times did a story later that week in which they asked me if I had any suicidal tendencies when the editors uh, refused to run the story. And I said, I don't know about suicidal ten- tendencies, but I wouldn't deny that I might've had some homicidal tendencies. <laughs> <laughs> I think the worst part of it was when you were asleep and I think Matt Drudge called you and your wife picked up. And um, yeah, and, yeah you was, you were, she wasn't very happy about that. I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, so in the aftermath of the story, then you obviously uh, New York Times, you know, contacting you, etc. How, how did your involvement in this in the story play out after you know it been uh, sort of leaked out by by Drudge Report, and that then sort of leads into obviously the Clintons' response. Could is there much more to say on kind of your involvement in this story um, and how this plays out for, for because audience? you become a font for information for mm-hmm. Well, I mean. Uh... Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, I mean, look, we knew more than anybody else. Um, so, you know, we have the most, you know, complete and thorough accounts. And, you know, if you look back, the following, uh, you know, Sunday, we came out with, after the publication mm-hmm. of the, the web version, we came out with an even more complete version uh, that went on to win the National Magazine Award. So I got the credit mm-hmm. for being the the, yeah. the reporter who, you know, had the exclusives on this matter. Um, I also became the target for the Clinton White House. They uh, went after me mercilessly and, you know, I had to put up with all sorts of crap, uh, you know, uh, 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 but, you know, so be it. This is what happens when you write yes. controversial <laughs> stories, right? Something I'm um, sure you folks in the UK are familiar with. Yeah, we, we have our, our, our own press, our own, um, <laughs> I guess, uh, fallout yeah. of stories. 
Yes. Right. Sort of like somebody writing something about the royal family that they I, don't like. Right? I, can't, you know? I can't imagine that would ever happen. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Toby, I was going to move on to kind of the Clinton side of this. Is there anything in particular you'd like to talk to before that? Or would you like to take on the Clinton questions yourself? I, mean, I just wanted to know what was the uh, White House's uh, reaction mm. to it? And then what did Clinton have to do in terms of reacting to it? And uh, what questions? Well, I mean, you know, answer. Clinton famously lied, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. you know, he said, I did not have sexual relations with that woman, you know, Ms. Lewinsky. Um, and I'm gonna, you know, and so be it. But as a result of his lying about it, um, it turned into a, you know, a nine month uh, investigation by Starr's uh, uh, office in which all sorts of people were dragged before the grand jury and forced to testify about all this. And ultimately they got possession of the blue dress and they uh, uh, demanded a, you know, samples of Clinton's DNA, which he was forced to give. And once it became clear that the that that was indeed semen on the blue dress that Linda Tripp had offered to give to me. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, Clinton was caught and stuck and had to fess up. How did you feel about getting the president semen? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I, it was, you know, I, 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 I've always speculated, like, what would have happened? If I did take possession of the yeah. dress, I, I, who knows what I could have possibly done with it. I, I can't imagine anything I could have done with it. But had I taken possession of it, then Star wouldn't have had it. And they would have had to have come to Newsweek to get, yeah. uh, get it. And Newsweek probably would have resisted the subpoena and it would have become a big first amendment case uh and it might have saved clinton's skin if i had taken the dress i mean who knows uh what was your reaction at the time when you had clinton famously going on tv and lying and saying you know i didn't have these relationships uh with uh, monica Lewinsky? did how did you personally feel about Clinton maybe prior to this, obviously some of the investigations with regards to the other women and, you know, he was the president of the country at this time. This wasn't someone who was kind of, you know, out of the way. He was very much still, you know, he'd won an election. He was in his second term. Did, I'm just trying to get a picture of how you felt having investigated this, having, you know, known all the sources and knowing kind of more than anyone else. And then having the president, you know, the most powerful man in the country, you know, stand in front of podiums or being interviewed on tv and saying you know i did not do this how did that feel for you i don't know how it felt i mean it was sort of like on the one hand what would you expect from clinton (laughs) you know he had a pattern of you know not exactly coming clean on matters (laughs) on all sorts of fronts not just this but clearly you know his um sex life was something that he was never able to come clean on because it really was far more troubling than most people understood. It Mm -hmm. it was not a, you know, this wasn't an occasional dalliance by him. This wasn't a, a lapse by him. There was a pattern of, uh, of, of sexual behavior, um, most of it 
consensual, but certainly reckless. Uh, and at times was not consensual. Well, you know, as, mm-hmm. as time went on, we learned, you know, look, I thought the Paula Jones matter was a serious one. And I think today, you know, you look at what she claimed and it's kind of like Harvey Weinstein behavior, mm-hmm. you know, having a state trooper bringing a woman to a hotel room and exposing yeah. himself and asking for, you know, oral sex. I mean, that's the kind of thing Harvey Weinstein did. And, you know, uh, he did some more serious things as well. There were also rape, but you know, it's it's not um, it's not appropriate behavior, shall we yes. say? And you know, we learned, you know, Kathleen Willey, I thought, had a uh, important story to tell about something that took place in the Oval Office, and of course, we all later learned about um, Juanita Broderick and um, her very serious um, charges about being raped by Bill Clinton while he was attorney general of Arkansas. And, um, you know, there were reporters who looked into that and thought that uh, Juanita Broderick had quite a bit of corroborating evidence to, to back up what she was saying. I think when I look at your book, there's a sense that it has shades of um, Ronan Farrow's new book, uh, was it Catch and, Catch and Kill? It's a, it's, it's like the Weinstein thing um, to some extent. There's some harrowing stories here of you know, Clinton meeting women and, and, you know, they're asking for jobs or for favors or they just want to be um, consoled about things that happened to them and then Clinton would take advantage of them or he would put, his, uh, put their hand on his penis and, and things like that. It is quite, I don't know, it's quite, it's much more than I expected when I started reading this, I, I, you know, I thought it was about, um, you know, just um, indiscretions that were consensual. I didn't, I didn't really know that that Clinton had this kind of um, this kind of record, really. Sure, because you know, basically, that's the way the Clinton people wanted to spin it. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, this is you know, these these are scurrilous reporters with a tabloid mentality who are just interested in looking into somebody's sex life. That wasn't it. Um, and that's not what it was about. And, but that's the way it was spun. And that's the way uh, the Clinton folks wanted people to perceive it. And the fact that that's the way you perceived it is an example of how successful they were in mm-hmm. portraying it as that way. I mean, Hillary Clinton described it as a, a vast conspiracy and it's vast right-wing conspiracy, vast yes. right-wing conspiracy. And that's the, the title of um, Jeffrey Tubin's book and the angle that he, yeah. he took. Right. He, yeah. Tubin fell for it. Yeah. <laughs> I know there was line, a back, back and forth. And sinker. Yeah. I know there was a back and forth between you and um, in reviewing Tubin's book and Tubin's book and reviewing you. Uh, so what? What I mean, you've 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 touched on it uh, to some extent, but what was your perspective on that? On that? Um, yeah, you- I mean, I thought, I thought that, you know, as I said, that that was a book that was sort of, you know, um, the Clinton spin job. Hmm. We are coming up to around about the hour mark now. Toby, is there anything specifically you'd uh, like to ask uh, Michael before we keep him any longer? 
what about the definition of um sex or the sex that he had Clinton said he didn't have uh, sexual intercourse with Monica Lewinsky sexual I mean, relations sexual, sexual relations, relations with Monica Lewinsky yeah, right. I mean it's things like um them having phone sex which I guess would not maybe meet the definition while you know while t- listening to um, Clinton talking to congressional people in the Congress uh, there's but then there's also the oral sex that they has and Linda Tripp says well you know Monica Lewinsky said it's not sex. yeah and that's the uh, way they chose to yeah. Clinton had said maybe he had read somewhere in the Bible that you know if oral sex isn't sex or yeah uh, <laughs> how why do you think that he felt that he could judge the question by being so you know I don't know nuanced about the definite definition I don't, I don't know if nuance is the word I would use to describe that kind of hair splitting <laughs> <laughs> it's uh yeah it's a sort of a contortion right yes. uh, <laughs> but um you know he was able to get look the fact is the guy did lie under oath you're not supposed to do that right you know look i never thought that i, I mean i thought the republicans were stupid to impeach him over it I, I i didn't think it rose to the level of impeachment uh i think they could have censured him uh and that would have been uh something that would have gotten sort of bipartisan support um i uh, but you know, look, uh, uh, it was a, uh, uh, a different era um, and a different time, you know, if this had happened, you know, post the Me Too movement, I mm-hmm. think uh, the reaction would have been different. But again, it's very, these things are very fraught with politics. You know, look at the way the Democrats went after, you know, Kavanaugh for, you know, sort of murky allegations of 30 years old relating to, you know, something that happened in high school. Um, and, you know, they all got on their high horse about that. Um, but, you know, many of this, those same people were more than willing to look the other way um, mm. when it involves somebody on their side. And the Republicans are no different. You, you hear Republicans now demanding that, that Cuomo be, uh, uh, be forced to resign over the allegations against him. Uh, and yet they stood solidly behind Donald Trump yeah. in the face of all sorts of allegations, including rape. Um, um, against uh, Donald Trump. So, you know, unfortunately, these matters become um, thoroughly politicized and it depends on whose ox is being gored for how seriously you're going to take it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Toby, any any final question before we finish up? Uh, no, because uh, we already talked about um, Me Too, he sort of wrapped that in really well yeah I thought yeah I, I, I find it quite interesting because obviously the story the story that you were involved in I think it's something that Hunter S. Thompson would have loved to be involved in because it's a really gonzo 
journey that you go through you know so you're involved yeah. in the story the story changes on some of the events that you some things that you do something you don't you know i remember uh not too long afterwards um uh being uh, in aspen colorado and having dinner with uh, hunter thompson and um he uh told me he was cheering me on through the whole <laughs> Uh, and that was quite gratifying to hear from uh, such an iconic yeah. figure like uh, the late Hunter Thompson. We actually had Ralph Steadman on the podcast, his uh, artist um, of uh, many, many a piece of work. We actually had Ralph on, on the podcast, uh, what, two years ago now, Toby? Uh, yeah, yeah, almost, yes, almost two years now. Yeah, almost two years ago. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Hunter would often, n- nice to hear that little, uh, little bit of information there. Um, right. Um, Michael, is there anything we've kind of missed off as far as giving, I mean, you've given such a great account. Is there anything else to add on the, the or anything, any other final statement you'd like to make on the kind of your investigation? No, no. I mean, you know, it was, uh, it was a long time ago, yes. <laughs> many, many political scandals ago, <laughs> but, um, you know, in some respects, uh, all this might seem, sound a little quaint uh after the trump era yes. <laughs> and uh, everything we've been through on that front um but um you know there there are clearly themes that resonate and are relevant to today absolutely well michael thank you so much for joining us today it's been a real pleasure um just fantastic to have such a great source on this and obviously you're so intertwined within the story it's been just a fascinating listen thank you so much for joining us sure enough Great. Okay. Thank you, Michael. Cheers. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Okay. Well, that was our interview with Michael and that was really informative. So thank you to Michael for joining us. Um, That was, that was a really nice way in a way to, to cap off the fact that we've done a a, a trilogy of shows on Bill Clinton and the fact we had a primary source, you know, basically telling us about probably the, the defining story of the Bill Clinton presidency. Um, I suppose for my my own thoughts before before I asked you guys, um, you know, my own thoughts on Bill Clinton as a president, I, I suppose, is a, is different, obviously, to someone like Michael, who was you know investigating a story during the time. But even just outside of someone who's so close to the story, like like Michael, you know, just from our age group, it's kind of different because we didn't we either didn't live through it at all, or in my case, it was kind of on in the background of TVs when I was a small kid. And so what you kind of hear is, you know, Bill Clinton had oral sex in the White House and, you know, he got told off for doing that kind of thing. And then you get a bit older and you hear some things, but then it kind of dies into the past. And then, you know, you maybe have a kind of foggy idea as to actually his sort of Bill Clinton's character and the events that happened. And obviously, as we we talked to Michael and as we researched the podcast, um, you, you kind of you get into understanding more of the actual events and more of Clinton's own um, past. And I think for myself, just thinking about the, the trilogy overall, I think it's, it was a nice is probably the wrong word, but it's an, probably an important way to cap this off and probably quite a, quite an exclamation point on a sentence that had already been written in a sense that I went in not, probably sort of slightly negative thoughts about the Bill Clinton presidency just because the things that immediately jump to mind are usually negative outside of like the you know positive of turning the economy around and I think over the last three shows we've done on him 
I think that has just got more negative, to be honest, both on a personal level as far as, you know, his character and then also just, you know, some of the policy things, you know, that we, we dived into in other shows, you know, don't ask, don't tell and, you know, th that kind of thing. So um, that was my kind of rambling way to say that I think it was a really good trilogy of shows that we did. And I think it was interesting points that we talked about as far as, you know, establishing who the new Democrats were and, you know, kind of where they came from and the way they kind of had to um, kind of the democratic center left had to kind of rebuild after being destroyed basically in the, the, the late seventies and eighties. And we then of course went on to sort of the, the Clinton presidency specifically, probably more than the first term and, you know, leading up to, um, um, leading up to the, the affair which we, we encountered in today's episode and then obviously the, the kind of scandal um, with regards to his affair with Lewinsky so Vaughn my, my thoughts are that you know this has been a, a really worthwhile trilogy of shows and it's probably actually deepened my dislike for for President Clinton what, what have your thoughts been on the the shows we've done and kind of what you've learned about Clinton and maybe how your your views on him and his policies and him as a person have evolved. Right. So um, I absolutely agree with you that this was a really interesting and worthwhile thing to, to dive into because I was born after he became president mm -hmm. um, in the middle of his first term. So I don't really have any kind of memory of a Clinton presidency in any meaningful way. Um, most of what I know about Clinton is from pop culture, mm. honestly. Um, and I'm mad that I was led to believe he was a cool guy. He played a saxophone, Don. He played a saxophone and he was like <laughs> the president who fucks. And like, it was. <laughs> and like, yeah, he's so, like, he's made up to be this like really cool guy. And it's actually like, oh, he's awful in yeah. a lot of ways. Like, what, like, I already had a fairly negative opinion because I was like, mm -hmm. if he's, if they're pushing that hard in pop culture to be like, he's a cool guy, then there's something wrong going on here. And then when I read deeper into it, because I, admittedly, I never really had much interest in kind of 90s politics. Um, all of my research is from before then. Um, so really digging into the 90s for, for the last couple months of researching these podcasts and everything. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Just... Wow, and reading people call him the a um, hero and champion of gay rights. I was oh, like, yeah. are you reading the same thing I'm reading? Because don't ask, don't tell. Are you kidding me, Doma? Mm -hmm. Like, he, ooh, I know I already went into this, so I'm gonna I'll take it <laughs> down now because I went off on that on the first episode. But I just, I really, in this episode with Michael was so fascinating. And thank you so much, Michael. I was just sitting here in awe listening to mm -hmm. all of this um what a brilliant primary source as you said simon it just it i i know it was a different time so things came out differently and opinions are different about it even still now because it was a different time when things were happening but i think it's a very apt very apt comparison to link everything with clinton to various aspects of weinstein and mm -hmm. of the me too movement now and with that kind of context, I just, I do not have a positive opinion of, of Clinton at all. And 
I didn't before this, but now it's like, wow, now I have all of the evidence for why I feel that way. So it was very, very interesting to do all of this and talk about all of it. Um, but yeah, that's how I'm feeling. Um, so just before Toby ask for your thoughts, is it fair, sir, is it fair to say then, Vaughn, that your kind of interest in politics throughout the American kind of recent history kind of ended as soon as Reagan left office? Because we're kind of getting the feeling that, you know, you're interested, you know, post-war and then up to like maybe 1990. So is there like a common theme that it's really Reagan that's holding your interest throughout the 20th century? Is that fair? I mean, every listener of our podcast knows that Reagan is the love of, I can't finish that. <laughs> I can't say that. I, I absolutely hate Reagan, but in a way that I'm fascinated by the 80s now, because that's another thing that I hadn't really researched before. Mm -hmm. All of my research really ended around early 70s. Um, right. I never really went more modern than, than like Nixon and a bit of Carter. Um, but I learned a lot about Reagan recently for, for a Reagan trilogy. And mm -hmm. that was just really fascinating. And I've read, read up um, on a few more things since mm -hmm. then. So I am fascinated about, about all of that. Um, I don't know if I would dig more into the 90s because it, it hits home differently. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I was actually alive for this part, and I don't like that. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like, Fair, yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, Toby, you're obviously probably the biggest Bill Clinton fan I've ever... No, I'm joking. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what What were your thoughts about the Clinton presidency prior to doing the trilogy, and how, how, did, how did that evolve as you researched the episodes and as you did the, did the trilogy itself? Well, I think my view of the Clinton presidency vaguely was that there was just a bunch of constraints and mm. that Clinton seemed to manage the constraints well, but he was kind of weak. He, mm. you know, Gingrich was running the show, Gingrich prime minister and John Kasich was running the budget. And then, you know, they, they, they threw the Lewinsky thing, thing at him and um, George Bush became president. You know, I mean, I, I just had a vague idea that he was weak and then the structures around him also contributed to that. Mm -hmm. But I think from actually from doing these three episodes and to talking to Michael Isakoff, I feel like actually Clinton wasn't weak. Clinton actually kind of did what he wanted to do and told everyone to fuck off really i he feel like i not weak <laughs> because like he's the new democrat mm -hmm. and okay like they needed new democrats but he was the chairman of the new democrat you know group that they had that yeah. did all the you know all the polling and created all the policies and you know, he was kind of the middle of the road, sort of soft Republican. And he, he, his, his background, at least how he interpreted his, his working class background in many ways was reflected, reflective of that. I think he, he, um, he sort of associated with this um, sort of growing wave of people who wanted to be yuppies, who wanted to do better for themselves. He didn't really care about African-Americans. He didn't want African-Americans bust into the communities. He wanted to be, you know, live this kind of suburban life and 
not really be bothered by by people. And I think it's reflected in a lot of the, the policies. Um, it's reflected in his view of people, and then um, and then in the campaign somewhat, and then in his presidency, he actually enacts a lot of this. You know, you get the crime bill, you get uh, compromises like don't ask, don't tell. You, you get, um, you know, healthcare, but they don't really push it that hard. Um, and then, I, and, you know, get, he loses his um, majorities in the House and, and then Gingrich comes in and then he works quite well with Gingrich, you know. Like a lot of the policy points that Gingrich wanted, Clinton kind of felt that, you know, a lot of these things were important. He kind of supported the balanced budget he supported other sort of conservative policies welfare reform and a lot of these things he'd been writing about forever and then it comes to the monica winsky scandal and what liberals try to do and why they really love the clintons is that conservatives hated the clintons you know i mean this this period is the emergence of people like ann coulter like laura ingram you know, Gingrich himself, this, as um, Michael Ozikoff said, you know, this this vast conspiracy against the Clinton administration. I mean, Lucy Ann Goldberg hated the Clintons. She thought Bill Clinton was an Arkansas bumpkin. They, and Linda Tripp hated the Clintons. Um, you know, they didn't really, they hated the Clintons, but they hated the Clintons for these cultural issues. They thought Hillary Clinton talked too much. They thought Bill Clinton was a bit of a used car salesman. But the, the thing about it, despite this, you know, this, this vast conspiracy that did exist, you know, um, this media attack on Bill Clinton that did exist, Clinton's actual behavior wasn't stopped by any of this, really. Like he had the the Whitewater scandal was going on and Starr was looking into it and you had the Paula Jones thing, and and Clinton didn't settle the Paula Jones thing. He just said, like, I'm, I'm fine. I'm going to go to deposition. I'm going to lie. I don't care. I'm going to do what I want, you know? I've been um, having sort of extramarital relations in when I was uh, governor. I'm going to keep having extramarital relations. I have this... Um, you know, package of policies, the center-right package of policies that I want to enact, and I'm going to enact those policies. I actually think Bill Clinton was a quite successful legislator. He wasn't really, you know, there were constraints for the Democrats, like the Democrats had constraints and social democratic parties at the time had constraints. But Bill Clinton didn't really have constraints. I think Bill Clinton went to Washington and enacted the policies that he wanted to. He had sex with who, whoever he wanted to. He, you know, I mean, I don't see this guy as a weak figure at all. I, I see him as a quite, quite powerful figure, not a figure that I particularly like. I think I, I agree with um, you guys on, on many of these points. But it, it, is, it is strange because, you know, I look at um, the Obama administration and maybe, maybe things are things will change in the way people interpret Obama administration in 20 years. But I think Obama is a politician that we could say it was much weaker than Bill Clinton. I mm -hmm. think Bill Clinton, um, despite the, the structural constraints, despite the vast right-wing conspiracy 
he he always just did what he wanted and I, and i i think there's something to be admired about that you know in terms of um the his force of will the way he maneuvers around a definition the way he you know tries to get um gaze on side even though he's not really going to do anything for them the 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 way he manages to put through his own uh, welfare reform bill managed to put through uh, his crime reforms I, I i feel like they're when looking back i think clinton emerges is almost like i think it's almost like a figure like lyndon johnson he, he was a really well, he was a quite powerful and skillful politician who seems to just just get his way and none of you know what what he did was you know things that i'm interested in or think that were particularly good but he i mean he did it and he and he wanted to do it and i think there's something to be admired there and and as um and i agree with michael isikov's whole um idea really i think jeffrey tubin's focused on you know the, the the conservative conspiracy coming from many conservatives who hated bill clinton and tried to stop him i think they failed and actually what emerges is a as michael isikoff kind of um talked about is, is someone who was a pathological liar who was so confident in his own abilities that he took all kinds of risks you know it, it's very different from obama who is almost like a robot who hmm. was so restrained and was scared to do anything really i think clinton really as i know, he, was, he was quite a, a powerful person and i think it in the end it was his own self-confidence that almost um, brought him down. But the interesting thing about all of this is that, you know, um, Dick Morris ran polls about um, the Monica Lewinsky scandal. Uh, Bill Clinton had told him to, to run the polls. And um, Dick Morris found out that people uh, were going to forgive the infidelity, but they weren't going to forgive the lying. Yeah. And then Clinton lied and you know there was a little bit of a po- polling drop, but they you know they still won. They the Gingrich was Gingrich left um, the the house, and uh, the, the the Democrats made gains in uh, 1998 and 99, and uh, Clinton was uh, viewed as a successful president and a popular president, and he almost got um, his vice president elected to the the presidency. So yeah, I mean. It's really interesting. Like he was a successful president who um, maintained popularity for for a long time, despite the the scandals. And uh, I don't, you know, I just really don't buy the idea that you know that this uh, vast rights wind conspiracy really affected him. That's really interesting. The LBG comparison. It's not something I really thought about, and it's really interesting for a number of reasons. Because although you said maybe as far as kind of a force of a politician, as far as getting things done, they're very similar or similar, at least in some ways, in some ways, they're also in, in other aspects, also complete opposites as far as things that achieved and then legacy on things. So for instance, you know, on, on the policy side of things, at least when I, I think of LBJ, I think of, you know, voting rights acts of 65 and those types of things. Whereas when I think of of bill clinton i think of doma and i think of don't ask don't tell <laughs> and with clinton i i don't think he had anything you know he didn't have anything on the foreign policy that was 
overly bad, certainly nothing compared to, you know, the the, the storm that was uh, Vietnam and how that brought down LBJ. And then at the end of the presidency, you had LBJ basically didn't run for a, a second term because he wasn't popular enough, really. He didn't really have the support to kind of go on, whereas Clinton left office, as you say, he was still popular. And there was, I think, polls taken at the time saying, like, a majority of Americans would have voted him for a third term, as it were. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that we've got that comparison as far as maybe him being sort of a a politician who's able to get things done in a way, which is like LBJ. But then on so many other points, they're sort of polar opposites, which is um, interesting. It's not something I really do is think about presidents, certainly liberal presidents, in comparison to other ones. And that, that's, that's an interesting one. I'd never really thought about how Clinton sort of lined up against other liberal presidents, but that that's maybe something I'll, I'll go away and have a think yeah, about. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to think because LBJ is known for being someone who's tough, mm-hmm. uh, you know, scra- you scratch my back, I scratch yours, mm-hmm. um, doing backroom deals and, you know, being a party functionary, someone who's really, really good at politics. And I think like Clinton kind of had that as well. Like he was charming, he was mm-hmm. affable. He there was the the, the idea of him reaching across the aisle a bit as well, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Republicans, you know, not in the media, but mm-hmm. in meetings, bipartisan meetings, or on the phone, they kind of liked him. You know, they mm-hmm. they got on with him, and he was able to twist them and turn them and and try try to affect compromises where he could like he kind of had this political skill mm-hmm. of a lyndon johnson i think the structures around him were very different from johnson's the structures around johnson mm-hmm. i mean it's funny johnson also was um had uh, sexual improprieties um you know he's famous for i think i think um trying to like some doing something that Clinton had uh, done similar with Paula Jones. Like I think uh, LBJ was known for exposing himself to women and things like that. But again, I think on the personality level, it's just like he's he, I, there's this need for love and affirmation. And I think both of them kind of had, and but the structures are really different. Like the liberal st- structures are different. The liberals are much more maligned as a political force in the Clinton administration and over those years than Lynn Johnson. Lynn Johnson has much more powerful legislative successes. And I think Clinton would probably agree that that's true as well. But I do think that despite the structures being so different, I think that Clinton himself got what he wanted out of politics and achieved the things that he wanted through politics. So yeah, I, I it's it's almost like they're different politically. I don't I don't consider Clinton to be a liberal, but I think as you say, I think it's the personalities that, that are quite similar. Yeah, it was just Madeline Duncan Bryan was an American woman who claimed to be a longtime mistress of uh, London Johnson. <laughs> in, in addition to claiming that a son was born out of that relationship, Brown also implicated Johnson in a conspiracy to assassinate JFK. So you know. <laughs> there you go wikipedia says how it. could he have done that to ladybird i mean <laughs> <laughs> right we've somehow slipped into london johnson episode which is fair enough uh von you're you're apparently an american i think i've heard that before and allegedly allegedly and you're probably maybe have a bit more reverence for or in 
theoretical reverence for the the office of the American president than oh. than Toby and myself do. Um, just listening to you know Michael talk about Clinton and the way he was you know the way he would act and you know the the affairs he would have and you know sexual impropriety and you know the line and the you know this is a, a repeated pattern how did how did that feel as, as an american so just thinking of like that's who we had in the office like it was actually happening at the time you know th- this wasn't some 40 years ago this guy had an affair or did something wrong right <laughs> this guy's actively doing this while taking charge of the country did, did you have any particular thoughts on that or not no i did actually while while michael was talking um it, it wasn't necessarily like a how could this happen while he was president? Because I mean, we just had four years of something. And yeah, hey, I think the car wasn't that bad. Don't disrespect. Um, so, yeah, so my thoughts were actually how many presidents have been like this and we don't have evidence for it. And it's interesting that you just brought up LBJ and having having an affair because that just fuels that that I feel like the vast majority of American presidents have been sketchy let's go with sketchy on kind of issues of Actual and romantic relationships. Well, see, if JFK had remained in president, uh, remained the president, then obviously there would have been no scandal at all. So you no. know, it's, it's just unfortunate that the uh, assassination happened. Yeah. Um. <laughs> For only that reason. <laughs> For I, only that reason. I think um, what I like. I don't want to implicate every president and be like they've all been like sexist and. All had some sort of like impropriety and something. I don't want to say that, but I I do think that it's it's like you know how when Watergate happened, a lot of people were like, "Oh my God, we can't trust our president." This is the first time the government has ever done anything without us knowing. And then like another group of people were like, "No, this is the first time we know about it." And Mm -hmm. that's how I feel about Clinton with this, is that like, this is the first time that there is like hardcore proof of it. Mm. And that casts a light on every president before and every president after. Because like, how much do we know about it? You know what I mean? Absolutely. And we have a lot of evidence for a lot of other presidents that, that this is the case. So it just, it's an unfortunate and uncomfortable thing for me to think about as an American and as a woman that the abuse of power in that mm-hmm. office is something that has been passed down with the office yeah and I think that that's maybe something that you told me you mentioned earlier about how will the Obama years be you know reviewed and you know look back upon and how, how his legacy might change and I think that's maybe the one thing which has been elevated specifically by the Trump years, but also, you know, when you look back at something like Clinton is that for all the mistakes Obama made and maybe some of the weakness he showed and other things that, you know, we, we might not like or agree with, 
I think there was a, a sense of a, a strength in his marriage and a strength on a personal level of not making those types of mistakes or those types of, you know, um, crimes even uh, the way that Clinton had before. And I think if you, sometimes it feels like decades between Clinton and Obama, but in, in reality, it was only eight years, uh, which may say something to our own age and, you know, just, that you know maybe that particular eight years being particularly lengthy for us because that's you know when we were sort of coming of age and maybe it's also just telling of how long it seemed George W. Bush was president but mm. um, it, it is quite telling that Obama for all his sins and mistakes I think did almost seem the polar opposite of Clinton as far as sort of a, a certain personal moral standard and moral core I think I think part of that was probably by design. Mm. Uh, the Democrats were probably fishing for that. And also part of that was probably Obama's race as well, I think. Like, yeah. He mm. was probably put to a higher moral and social standard than other presidents have been previously. Absolutely. Some of that would have been the structures, like the media had changed. But yeah, I think like, he... I also think probably is why he was so pragmatic, maybe legislatively as well. You know, he just, he was just sort of scared. Maybe he wanted to make sure that he was seen as a, a moral and trustworthy yeah. figure. And he was just high, held to a higher um, moral standard in that way that, that other presidents had been. The interesting thing is that, you know, as Vaughn was just saying, like, you know, JFK, famously had um you know different uh paramours before <laughs> <laughs> and um he was famously dating sam giancana the, the 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 mobster's girlfriend so that was it was crazy it was crazy in jfk's day but i guess you know it was, they were just they were greatest generation guys and you know there was there weren't any w- women in the media anyway to <laughs> <laughs> talk about any of it so it was different it's super different. People don't really care. And I guess then you get Watergate and people like Michael Lizakoff were probably very young when Watergate happened. They went to college and they wanted to be uh, Woodward and Bernstein and you know, mm-hmm. they, they, everyone was trying to pick apart um, you know, little scandals here and there with, 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 with people. Um, interestingly enough, I think the dynamic of, oh, is it a conservative conspiracy or these conservative moralists because, you know, they did vote on impeachment, uh, which was crazy. I mean, um, but like, I, I think that that perspective was the perspective of the 1990s. But as Isakoff was saying, like, what's the post, what's the post Weinstein perspective, uh, you know, the catch and kill perspective. And as, as things change, as uh, more people get a voice as, you know, more women get a voice or, you know, like we, we mm-hmm. sort of reinterpret these these people. And I and I think that is, um, is a really interesting thing because coming into it, I sort of think about the the scandal as, you know, like like what would the French French think about this? Like, you know, <laughs> they, they wouldn't care about, you know, they wouldn't um they wouldn't care about this, you know, that maybe a, a good and um, sophisticated people are above this and these, this, 
these kind of scandals are for Americans who tend to be not not only more moralistic about personal behavior, but also a little bit childish about, you know, the government and the institutions. Uh, and this is not a, a take, you know, a, a hit on Vaughn or anything like that. You know, I'm just trying, <laughs> I'm just trying to say it's a little bit different. But with the generation of Me Too and, um, you know, Time's Up, things change, a uh, new perspective comes in, and then maybe the French are a little bit behind us in the way they look at different things. So, yeah, I think it's hmm. it's interesting to be doing this podcast because we can go back and at things that just it, were very contemporary, you know, just a few years ago um, now or, you know, 20, 20, 25 years ago, which is, which is quite a while, and then see how things change, how some interpretations that were stronger back then no longer hold weight. Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting um, thing to do. And yeah, and I think um, Clinton's a really interesting figure, I, I guess, because he doesn't have, he tried to have a big peace treaty between, between um, Israel and Palestine, but didn't, didn't really take. And I guess so he doesn't really have any sort of big foreign policy accomplishments or legislative accomplishments that really stick out. He's, he was, he almost seems like much more of a policy wonk and trying to enact a lot of the more domestic policy wonkery that the think tanks, the center right think tanks have been thinking about, you know, in the, in the seventies and eighties and, and, and things like that. But I think, he, I think he's a genuinely interesting president I mean, to be put up there with um, other sort of like the the the, the Nixon, JFK, mm-hmm. the Johnson sort of trifecta and Reagan as well. And yeah, I think he's a really interesting figure, a real sort of great expression of a of a time and a and a and a place. And I'm yeah, I just you know I feel quite honored to to have the opportunity to talk about him with with you guys to, to do a trilogy and then to to talk to michael about it so yeah i mean this is great absolutely I, I think for clinton i guess on the foreign policy side of things i guess the northern Ireland peace treaty is probably about as close as he got as far as actually leaving some sort of um, impact on foreign policy just coming back to the obama <laughs> on the obama side of things uh, yeah, absolutely. Toby, you're absolutely correct. The, the higher standard was quite incredible for Obama. I mean, the fact that, you know, we, we make jokes about the tan suit all the time, but, you know, Re- Reagan wore a tan suit and that was fine. And in fact, Obama wasn't even allowed to point when he was in like having debates. He had to have that famous thing where he'd put his index finger up to his thumb and then he'd have to do that kind of thing because heaven forbid a black man could point at a white man. It was just, yeah, the, the higher moral standard held the uh, held against Obama was quite incredible. Um, one thing I did just want to very briefly touch on before we finish up and um, end the trilogy is if Hillary had won in 2016 and had indeed won re-election, Bill Clinton would have been in the White House the last four years and he's still been the White House now as the first man. And it's kind of crazy to think of like you have this, you know, time period which you're kind of in the past, you know, like imagine if now we're like, oh yeah, we're just going to like, bring reagan back and he's going to be the first man or something like that it's just crazy to think that yeah we, we yeah. could have we could have had bill just hanging around the uh hanging around the white house for the last four years um, before we we do go yeah on. i think um hillary might have been the first cucked president 
Yeah. Well, that, that? That, that we know of. That we know that of. We know of. Yeah. <laughs> who, know, who knows what Lady Bird was up to? Um, I mean, you know, I mean, Napoleon was cucked. So, you know, anyway, it could happen to anyone. Yeah. <laughs> what, what I've also been thinking about is how interesting it is that actually, as you were speaking there, Toby, this idea of, you know, Clinton being an interesting president and, you know, being sort of interesting compared to other people you know who'd kind of gone before him and it did make me think that perhaps the precedents of of real interest kind of certainly in modern time do kind of define their time so you know with with Nixon you know you kind of had this sort of late 60s sort of 70s this idea of you know sort of mistrust which you know large part came came because of some policy things that he was involved in and you know the, the you know Watergate and uh, sorry Vietnam and then you know, some of the economic struggles that came a bit later. Um, and, you know, mistrust of the government is kind of what we associate, or mistrust in general is kind of what we associate with Nixon. And then, you know, you're going ahead with with the 80s, you know, you've got what Reagan actually brought in as, as far as, you know, changing the policy of, of America and changing the sort of political temperature towards certain things, such as government spending and military spending. But actually, it, it's also interesting as well that as media changed in the 90s and you know you had you know fox news and you had 24-hour media that actually we had a president who was defined by media coverage for things like having an affair and you know lying to 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 the media and so it's interesting looking back at it now that you know we start to look back on how media changed and how right-wing media changed and a lot of that focused around Clinton and then Clinton himself was involved in something which sort of elevated the level of interest in right-wing media I think because of things like um, the the investigations he had not just for the affairs but for Whitewater as well so I I suppose thinking about Clinton as just a, a person in a period of time it's almost poetic he was the president during this period in time where media evolved and changed and he then had an affair which escalated uh, media and, and changed how the reporting of media uh, was done. I think, again, that's probably something I hadn't really considered prior to us doing the trilogy. Yeah, I think it's 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 like my um, last episode on um, patriotism. I think these, these presidents, they really represent... Um, you know, just different American stories and like who's the ideal American and, and who isn't and mm. and um the ideal American at, at a particular time and place. I think you, you can never and I know that you know people might want to do more social history and try to trace sort of um different um statistics and different personal stories poetically you know what the ideal american is you know what americans want in a particular time i think the presidents are really really useful um for that and i think clinton's tremendously um useful for that as as um as as we've seen uh with the changes in in media with the the x with the 24-hour media cycle the the creation of cnn Mm -hmm. Um, it really did change um, American political coverage. It really 
polarized and balkanized things, but Clinton seemed to be able to manage that, manage it despite his own almost pathological excesses, you know? So yeah, I think it's, yeah, he's, he's a real figure in, in, in time. And um, yeah, I, I, and I think probably with um, other presidents, as you said, like with Nixon, it's, it's kind of the same thing with the general feeling of um, paranoia and uh, distrust and then with Reagan, with this just buoyant optimism, like they, yeah, they they come to reflect sort of wider, wider feelings and wider issues, and yeah, they come to almost sculpt the time that they 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 live live in. You know, yeah, it's it's, it's really interesting. And then the two thousands was really stupid, so we had George W. Bush in charge of that. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Vaughn, have you got any final thoughts on? on Clinton other than, you know, the personal thoughts that you have running through your head about Clinton most time of the day? You know I only have those for me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought there might be a pattern for centre-right uh, politicians. <laughs> that's, that's actually something that I was thinking earlier. Um, you guys had both said something about Clinton, like, reaching across <laughs> the aisle and, and working with Republicans, but, like, can that count as reaching across the aisle if you're already a Republican? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't think that's, that's bipartisanship. <laughs> that's a good uh, point, Romney. Yeah, I don't, I'm. I think one of the things that I am now like enraged about with Clinton is that he he did and is responsible for. Um, making making conservatism the center in mm. america because we mm. have like in the states we have such a skewed political spectrum where we think far left is bernie sanders like that's not what far left is that's like fairly central for a lot of other governments governments around the world um like, and, and doing that purposefully as well like he yeah he, he like that was, that was he wanted to do it and he did it <laughs> was to make conservatism normal and natural and the center and people still in the states will say like oh i'm not a conservative i'm a centrist and every single thing that you ask them about or every box they tick is like fairly comfortably right uh conservative ideas and i think i think that's that's the biggest problem I have with Clinton is that people see him as like, oh, he was the Democrat and he was so cool and the saxophone and the sex and whatever, like cool ass guy. Like, and he was a Democrat. That's what liberals are. That's what the new Democrats are. He's just a goddamn Republican guys. Like, yeah. I, that's, I think that's my, my biggest takeaway from everything that we've just researched is like, wow, they really, they really got us. They really had us there. Yeah, I think, I think that's and, and the the Republicans are like, you know, like how how are we going to get them uh, on the poll? Now we like the policies. <laughs> <laughs> what, what are we going to do? Okay, there's all this sex. Like, let's do let's let's do that. Let's do all this. There's there's people. There's um the scandals that from his past. It's just character stuff. It's just like it just there isn't any substantive 
disagreement. Before we close up, then, um, Toby. Anything? Oh yeah, and there was one one thing <laughs> Vaughn said though about Mitt Romney, and I was just thinking about what <laughs> you and Simon you had been saying about um, how these presidents become representatives, and I was just thinking like seeing the center right in Mitt Romney and just shouting at the computer like, "This is not America! <laughs> this is not America!" You know, you're just like 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 he is supposed to represent a part of America or mm-hmm. this idea of what America is and and, and almost in a way that Bill Clinton sort of represented it. So like you're almost rejecting this idea of America mm-hmm. when when you reject that, you know, the whole manufactured um, personality or, or, or aesthetic of a particular individual I, I, th- I think that's that's I think it's a really interesting way of looking at these um, these politicians and like because like what, there's, what are they selling you about mm-hmm. the country at, at a particular at a particular yeah because Clinton and Romney are fairly similar in a lot of things as far as you know being white men in the center right but Romney didn't play the saxophone and therefore didn't become president whereas Bill Clinton did yeah I mean how yeah. could Romney have um... How could he have got maybe some center left people on side? Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I mean, you you might have been able to. Yeah, Vaughn, you're in the center ask, left. Ask him about that. And, you know, I mean, you're part of that key message. demographic. Maybe he needed a saxophone. Maybe, you know, I don't know. What, what he could needed he to fuck. He needed yeah. to fuck. <laughs> yeah, he could. And Vaughn is Vaughn. But he, but he fucks a lot. Like, he's got all those Mormon kids. I mean, but I guess just with his wife. <laughs> It's not the same. <laughs> I, I think I think we're out of things to say about Clinton. Yeah, we we we've moved on to Romney fucking. We probably should uh, we probably should end the episode there before we get Vaughn too excited. Uh, right. Okay. So that that was we're closing the book on Bill, Bill Clinton. To be honest, I don't really have any more appetite to talk about Bill Clinton because it's just too upsetting and too depressing but we'll definitely have some more 90s episodes we certainly will yes um coming up and things that we're thinking about yeah and, um, and tv Toby. shows movies mm-hmm. absolutely and uh vaughn's gonna learn the saxophone so that's going to uh it's gonna get it's gonna win the center left so that's good <laughs> right <laughs> okay um so that was that was the trilogy on bill clinton it was really interesting. And again, thank you to Michael for, for joining us today to talk about the Lewinsky scandal, which was just fascinating. Um, Toby, Vaughn, thank you very much for your time today. Um, yeah, that's Bill Clinton. <laughs> thank <laughs> that's, you, Simon. That snigger from Vaughn probably sets uh, probably sets the tone, I think, on what, what, <laughs> we, think, <laughs> what we think about the Bill Clinton presidency. Um, okay. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. <laughs> How dare you snigger at President Bill Clinton? Sorry, it just happened. <laughs>